Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 72 now of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Scroobius Pip. That's me. This week's guest, very exciting um, and, and a wonderful chat. Um, I've been hyping this for two, three episodes now because I really, it's it's great. Um, it's a guy called Dale Vince. He's the founder of Ecotricity. Um, and yeah, it's just really good. He's we. I was approached by someone in his office who's a fan of the podcast and just said, look, I think this might be of interest. And they sent me a load of stuff. And, it, you know, generally I get a lot of these and it doesn't quite fit. But I read the, the stuff he sent and there was some interesting stuff. And whilst I'm not a journalist, um, so I don't generally book people that I know I'm going to 100% disagree with because that's not, I'm not interested in that. This isn't, this isn't in fact my full-time job, you should be aware. This is a part-time job. Um, so yeah, these are just conversations that I enjoy and I, I want to have, enjoy having, not necessarily people I want to shoot down or interrogate or grill. It's why I've never had and never planned to have a politician on. Um, I don't support and agree with our current political s- system. Therefore, even if there's a politician that has some views that align with mine, um, I don't agree with their existence, essentially, currently in the current form. So I've no plans to have any any politicians on. But this was a fascinating one. And I went in sceptical and ready to maybe argue some points or maybe to hear some stuff that sounds cool but actually isn't really all that. But... I didn't hear any of that. It's fascinating. Um, I need to get the quick plug of speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's my record label. Head there and buy merch and stuff. Support me, support the podcast, support the label. Um, that's the shortest I've ever done that. But yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating chat and I'm excited for you to hear it. So I'm going to get straight into that now. At the end, um, I will have some more information for you and some more chatting as we're coming towards the end of the year another emotional year in the distraction pieces podcast world um yeah this is dale vince of ecotricity this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction and that was the big start there we go um how are you doing? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Yeah, a little bit damp. I just got caught in the rain on my motorbike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not the nicest of days. Um, I'm joined today by Dale Vince, the founder of, of Ecotricity. And this is a really interesting podcast for me because um, it's the first one I've really done with a company, essentially, or, 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 or that's to do with a company. Um, I've been approached numerous times to do sponsored guests as such so uh, you know different companies have said oh we've got a really interesting person can we pay to have a podcast and I've always said no and I wanted to make it clear at the start of this that that's not what's happening here either this isn't a sponsored uh, slot this is um I was a a guy Max approached me um and just gave me a load of information on what you guys do and particularly with the climate change uh conference and everything going on at the moment it seemed like a really interesting chat to have so thank you for coming on hey no problem it's my pleasure actually um yeah thanks thanks for doing it yeah yeah so i mean let's just start off with what ecotricity is it was the first green energy company um 
in the world when you set it up right and you, you set up, up to, uh, 20 years ago now was it yeah uh it was in the mid 90s so yeah, yeah it is 20 years ago yeah yeah mad but true we were the first people in the world to sell this new kind of electricity green electricity yeah and, and, and what kind of inspired that? Like, what was your path to 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 that? My path to that. The previous ten years, I'd been living on the road as uh, what some people call a new age traveller, yeah. um, and and that was itself inspired by the desire to live a different uh, kind of life. You know, a low impact life, and a life without kind of uh, you know all of the normal things like a job and a mortgage and you know that path that we're all supposed to take. I just absolutely rejected that as a young person. Um, and I wanted to do my own thing in the world and, and be self-sufficient as far as I could and explore and find my way, really, rather than go straight from school, straight into the world of work. And there's very little difference between them, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so 10 years on the road, living in buses and trucks and all sorts of funny things that I built myself and I became very self-reliant. And by the end of that period, I was using small windmills to power my trailer. And uh, so that kind of put me in tune with the whole renewable energy kind of issue. And, uh, yeah, one day I saw the first big wind farm built in Cornwall. It was it was about 91 or something like that. And, and I just was inspired by the thought that I could spend another 10 years living this impact, low-impact lifestyle myself, or I could drop back in and try and build a big windmill on the hill I was living on at the time. And, and it was only that thought, really, and I was just inspired by the idea to do it. So... I set out to do exactly that. That was the beginning. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, I love that it came from um, your own s- survival methods, really, that what you learned about renewable energy came from needing renewable energy, like directly being on the road, being on the move, n- not being able to, slash choosing not to tap into to what's already provided and, and the electrics systems and general systems of society that are already set up and provided so uh, learning that and then going right i've learned this for myself i can probably learn this for a greater a broader audience i guess yeah yeah that's exactly right i mean us hippies we used to sit around a fire at night you know for example and we used to say things like they should do this they should do that yeah because we were all dabbling in small wind and and sustainability issues and stuff you know and I suppose in in a in a way I just thought, well look, maybe I should be the they. Yeah. Let's 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 drop in and try and do something. And and at, at the early uh, part of that journey I learned that um, electricity generation in our country is is the biggest single cause of climate change. Oh wow. Thirty percent of all carbon emissions come from burning fossil fuels to make electricity. So it seemed doubly uh, sensible to me to push renewable energy. The biggest single thing we can do to fight climate change is change where our energy comes from. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's message. I mean, it, again, as well, it's 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 it, it, it must have been a big a big decision and a bold move to say, right, I'm gonna rather than just thinking about myself and thinking about my own sustainability to make that jump to go right well as you said it's very common for people to sit around and go here's what's wrong here's what they're doing wrong but it's also very common particularly on the left side or it has been traditionally to go uh, no further than that you know in politics in in energy and anything else to talk about all the problems but only talk about it so yeah that that must have been a huge deal when you've I first decided to go right. Let's let's become the they. Uh, let's take that action and, and make those changes myself. So, so how was that? I'd imagine it wasn't a quick, a quick fix or a quick move. Uh, no, it definitely wasn't quick. 
It took um, five years to build that first windmill on that hill I lived on. Wow. And, and I, it's fair to say, when I, when I decided to do it, I had no idea what it would take. Uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't know about big windmills, the world of finance, grid connections, planning, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so what I did is I just, uh, I just tackled it one thing at a time. Uh, and learned on the way. Um, had to had to fight various battles, and all all told, it strung it out to a period of five years. Um, and by just before I built the turbine, it, the first one went up on Friday, the thirteenth of uh, of December, nineteen ninety six. Can't can't forget the date. It was a magic yeah. magic date. Just before I went to see the local power company um, because I was thinking about building the next one. And uh, uh, tried to sell them the idea of green electricity. They were monopoly buyers at the time. If you were generating electricity, you had to sell it to them. So I went to see them, and they just laughed at the idea. They, they said, "You know, who wants green electricity? And by the way, here's a rubbish price because you've got nobody else you can go to." Yeah. And, and I left that meeting, uh, deciding that the only way to build more was to get a fair price for the energy, and the only way to do that was to cut out those middlemen and, and reach the end user with this new thing, this green electricity. And, and so born of that meeting was the idea to go a step further, just from building a windmill to actually being an energy company and delivering it to somebody's house. Yeah. And that was another massive adventure, I have to say. <laughs> again, yeah, I can imagine that's a, that's a, a huge thing. But again, logical in, in, in many ways that it's probably often easier to change the minds of the customer and the user than of the company who are making millions of dollars from the way they do it and have always done it. You know, quite understandably, it's going to be hard to change their mind, whereas the user who has a natural hate of their electricity bill you know that's, that's kind of a thing that, that no one looks forward to they're probably an easier target again albeit a longer game and a, a, a gradual road but an easier person to convince than someone sitting in an office who goes mate we've got it made we yeah. we generate all this we charge a fortune for it there's yeah. there's no other racket in town yeah you know, we're right. not interested. No, you're right. It's the status quo, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what they're about preserving. And I think that's what the government have uh, shown themselves to be doing today with Amber Rudd's latest announcement. Uh, you know, that she's going to put a lot of money into new gas-fired power stations. Yeah. Uh, having said just a few weeks ago that she's ending subsidies for renewable energy because um, things need to stand on their own two feet. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense with all the money being poured into nuclear fracking and gas. Uh, that's about the status quo. Fossils and nuclear, this is what the Tories are for. Yeah. Um, and they're really shutting down the renewables industry. But you're right. In our work, we try to reach the people. We use people power as a kind of, uh, it's not a catchphrase or a slogan, but it's an expression of ours with a, with a colon in between the two. And what we try to explain uh, in, in doing that is that our work is enabled by people. We have a bills into mills model where we harness people's energy bills and we use the money from that to build uh, windmills, solar mills, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we, we put their energy bills to good purpose, but it's a, it's a virtuous cycle. The more customers we have, the more we can build. That's our people power thing. And I think you're absolutely right. You've got to reach past the institutions, the, the, the business as usual people, reach the end user and say, look, there's a better way to do this. Yeah. Um, and, and it's people power that I think that can change the world. And, and I mean, it, it must have been a huge thing to get over that, to get that initial a customer base, because until you've got that, people will say there's always been talk of wind power, of solar power, of all these things. I remember, again, in the 90s, I guess, or maybe even late 80s, all the talk of solar panels on your houses and that being the future but then there being it being damned in many ways of it's not actually that it doesn't produce that much energy and all these kind of things so uh, 
the good th- I mean it must be nice now obviously it's it's still a midpoint in the journey but it must be good now to be able to go no look we are you know a legitimate company we provide a lot of people already this is a valid and sustainable option rather than that Again, it sounded like a hippie fantasy. Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have come this far and to be so well established as a company and and as a concept, really, renewable energy and all that kind of stuff. As you say, I mean, back in the day, nobody really believed that anybody would want green energy. Nobody believed that we could deliver it at the same price as brown, which is one of our founding principles. And... um, we, I remember facing a choice at the beginning, thinking about this, how am I going to do this? This is a great cause, change the way energy is made. I saw two routes. One is to be, in effect, a charity, to knock on people's doors and say, look, this is a great cause, you should help out, it's going to cost you, but it's a good thing to do. The other was to do it as a business and knock on doors and say, look, this is a great thing to do and it won't cost you any money. Yeah. Um, and we, we took that route, so business for us is a tool, it's a means to an end. Um, you know, we're... We see ourselves more as a social enterprise than a conventional business because of our bills into mills, yeah. dividend type model. Um, but uh, that's always been our premise to 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 really go to people with an offer that they can't refuse. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want uh, green energy if if it's pretty much costing you the same as the brown stuff? And 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 that's what really struck me and excited me about this is is that exact exact thinking there because the fact is if you go the charity route there's so many charities and so many very worthy causes i mean yeah. you see it now on social media that every month has got two or three different things that it's it's yeah. a charity for so it's easy to get passed over in that it in that manner i had i had um, a rapper on called killer mike and i was talking to him about the the responsibility of rap to put back into the community and help the community and he blew my mind in saying i do believe there is a responsibility but again it doesn't have to be a charity thing he's like i've now got three barber shops in my local area and we employ a, a, a local people i get all my merch made uh, uh, locally so you can still be a businessman and be taken seriously by everyone in that way again as a business yep. You you can be taken seriously by all sorts of people, regardless of if they're, as you said, hippies or yeah. or whatever else, and and that's a strong a, a strong point to approach from. So, how was it when you first started kind of approaching people? What was the the method like? Did it have to start as literally a door to door, or was it? Yeah, I'm, I can remember that very first conversation. Just before I tell you about it, just to say, I, I think that the business approach that you were just describing there, compared to the charity, is actually more sustainable. Yeah, I think the charity approach doesn't have the legs. If you can create a world in which uh, jobs are created and people are employed, and there's a good outcome from business inverted commas, then that that's much more sustainable. It, it sustains it's itself long term rather than the goodwill of a, a group yes. of people at that point who exactly. could then die or move on to something else yeah. or it, it doesn't exactly. become a sustainable no, exactly thing. right yeah so look I remember that first conversation it was just up the road in Cheltenham um, and it was a, a technical college uh, Cheltenham uh, I forget the exact name of it but knocked on the door spoke to the energy manager and I remember the first thing he said about it he said um, um, you know will the lights go out yeah. <laughs> and do I need to change my meter? Kind of, there was a there was a complete lack of uh, belief and understanding in how this worked. And, yeah. and even now, I think a lot of people in in this country don't understand that that uh, you don't have to change anything. We're all plugged into the national grid. Most of us plugged into the national grid, and um, anybody can supply your electricity. 
yeah. and you don't have to do anything about it. And the lights will not go out, uh, depending on who supplies your electricity, because the national grid takes care of that on behalf of all suppliers. Uh, but back in the day, we were this new thing, an independent energy company. We're the oldest one in Britain, by the way. Mm. And yeah, energy it was, it was businesses we were talking to first, and this energy manager chap was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Will it work? Yeah. <laughs> which is a, a fairly fundamental barrier to get over. Yeah, I can imagine. And it, it is fascinating because there are just general barriers in people's perceptions of what their options are. And we normally get kind of plugs in or whatnot at the end. But um, again, just, just, are you saying that then? It hadn't really crossed my mind that it was not like, I know who my electrical supplier is and things like that, but that was the supplier when I moved into my house. Yeah. But the fact is anyone can go to your... Well, what's the best way to go to your website or what? And yeah, so Horses for Courses, if you like to do online stuff, go to our website and you can do it in about five minutes. It's like name, address and postcode and you're almost done. Or give us a call and do it over the phone. It's the yeah. same, same amount of time, but it's whichever people prefer. It's actually, we put a lot of work into making it really easy. The energy industry is behind, the, let's say, the telecoms industry, I would say yeah. by a decade, maybe two, yeah. in terms of its user-friendliness and stuff. But we're, we're, do, we're doing our best to bring it up to speed. Yeah, so, and uh, again, not to sound completely ignorant here, I mean, it's my role to be ignorant here, but you provide to everywhere in the country, right, as, essentially, everywhere on the, the grid. It's not a case of, which you, I'd imagine it would have been when you started, kind of being more of a local, you know, you've got your areas, you've got your, your windmill here, this can serve here, here and here. Yeah, two things, really. Uh, <clears throat> firstly, you're dead right. It doesn't matter where you live in Britain. If you're connected to the grid, we can supply you. And we do. We have customers absolutely everywhere, uh, which is great. But when we first began, we came up with a new model of supply. Where we called it embedded supply. And what we did was we matched uh, local generators. The first one was a landfill gas generator. And we matched it to local customers, first one being Cheltenham College, because they did sign up. Yeah. <laughs> which is brilliant and the lights didn't go out right the lights <laughs> didn't go out fantastic news right. <laughs> and because uh, because what i learned as a as i you know took a deep dive into the energy industry was that uh, to, you know to use a kind of uh, a metaphor we the national grid is actually the motorway network yeah but coming off every junction you've got a local grid and if you stay in the local grid matching your generation to your customers you avoid let's say the tolls of using the motorways so yep. in order to deliver green for the price of brown back in the early days we came up with this in, this new model of embedded supply matching local generators to local users right uh, since then we've gone national with it and and you know we've kind of smoothed those issues out uh, but uh, yeah it was it was good fun yeah, back yeah. in the day doing that, and uh, an embedded supply was a radical idea. We had some some issues with it. Yeah, I recall. I can imagine. So, so, so what kind of? I mean, after being um, essentially laughed out of the room when approaching the power companies, essentially, as you started to grow as a provider yourself, having customers yourself, what kind of reaction have you seen, or did you start to get from 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 the original from the the brown energy providers but it's, it's funny really because it, it might have been 10 years later it might have been a little bit less but not by much they actually came to see us yeah. asked if they could have a meeting and, and basically they came to ask if there was any way they could work with us yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is nice uh, but there wasn't uh, you know we, they had no ideas and we couldn't see anything otherwise we would have done you know we didn't hold a grudge or anything yeah sure uh, but actually yeah we'd gone full circle from them thinking it was a silly idea uh, you know, and they weren't prepared to actually be fair with us on price to saying, uh, anyway, we can work with you because this looks quite successful. 
Yeah, again, and that's the the, the 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 wonderful irony with these things is we will achieve so many different things, and I think in in in, in energy, in medicine, in all these different areas, if the people upstairs with the money can see it as a financially viable and profitable thing, the sad thing there is because the fact is no one can really deny that at some point we need to go greener and greener and greener and, and become sustainable that's that's something everyone has been aware of so as soon as the big companies can see a way of doing that and still making their profit then it's logical to them to switch over but the beauty there is I mean I'd imagine in many ways although they're essentially your rivals that's also something that you want because that's 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 kind of for the good of everyone. Yeah. But the beauty there will be, uh, when that does happen, you'll be the the seasoned experts of providing this, of, of running this, and they'll be the ones kind of going, all right. So, how can we convert what we've got here and things like that? You know. Yeah, I think they'll always be playing catch up in that scenario. Yeah. And you know, I've always held it to to be the case myself that there are two ways we can bring change. Uh, the one is to do it ourselves, yeah. and whatever we're physically capable of building and, and customers recruiting and that kind of stuff, that creates a certain amount of change. The other amount is as a catalyst by yeah. showing other people that what we do is successful and people want it, then other companies come and do it. So we've been followed by the big six, as they're known, energy companies, into a number of the things that we do, like green tariffs and something we call merchant wind, which is where you build a big windmill uh, on a factory yeah. uh, and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, absolutely, I welcome it because the more people that join in, the more change we create between us. Yeah. So, so let's... Uh, let's talk about the main f- of forms of, of, of energy production you have. Is it mainly wind that is the is the strongest? It's strange from from touring. I seem to know it's a lot more a wind farms the further north you go, and not so many south for some reason. But yeah, is that kind of is it a growing an ever growing thing? And is that the main? The main source. Of- yeah, we we began with uh, onshore wind energy, and I would say it's it's Britain's uh, preeminent form of renewable energy. You know, it's, it's the one that's most abundant and and it's the cheapest. Mm. So it's the one that's got the most to offer. I mean, there's enough of it for context to power the whole country four times over if we used wow. it all. You, you tend to see more windmills further north because there's more wind. And there's a cubular relationship in, in wind, which means if you double the wind speed at a given site, a windmill will make eight times as much energy. Oh, so wow. the economics in Scotland are vastly better than the economics in uh, the south of England. Yeah, of course. Uh, so that's one reason for that. But since we began in onshore wind, solar has come along. And I would say particularly in the last few years, it's made massive leaps in terms of its cost of energy. And the key to all of this is the cost per unit of electricity that you can generate. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's about making a, a business-like proposition. The price of solar has fallen so dramatically that it's uh, you know it's gone from being a long way behind onshore wind to to being pretty close now and being quite viable in a number of uh, circumstances <clears throat> and there's been a like a, a a small tsunami of solar roofs installed uh, yeah. under the feed-in tariff, which the Labour government uh, initiated a few years ago. That's been cut now, and, and all of that is going to stop. But So uh, we see electricity coming from the wind, the sun, and the sea, um, and uh, you know Britain is blessed with enough of that to power the whole country many, many times over. Yeah. And, and that creates for us something we call energy independence. We don't need to bring energy in from uh, you know other parts of the world, which can be unstable on the one hand, but also it makes us subject to global prices for fossil fuels. You know, in the last eight years, uh, the price of energy bills has gone up, you know, something like £600 or something. Most of that is um, 
has come from the rise of the price of fossil fuels on global markets. It hasn't yeah. come from anything else, and we are absolutely subject to it. Uh, when it comes to gas, we also have a, a, a kind of new approach to that, which we haven't mentioned yet, uh, because up until a few years ago, we thought we only had the answer for electricity and that we just had to stop using gas. But we've just launched this year a new approach, um, which is to make gas from grass, improbably, grown on marginal farmland. And we can scrub that gas up and put it into the gas grid in the way we can our green electricity. Oh, wow. And we've done some research, and there's enough marginal land in Britain to produce 95% of all of the gas we use today. Uh, by 2030, we'll be using half as much gas if we hit our carbon target. So there's plenty of land to make all the gas we need in the coming decades as the North Sea runs out. And our method uh, is a kind of share farming method using 15 kilometer circles of land with all the farmers in that area growing grass on marginal land it creates habitats for wildlife um and um uh, you know it's just it's just good all around and it's a it's a yeah. it's the alternative to fracking there's no danger from it yeah it's carbon neutral um it creates jobs and and it's energy made in britain that will be sustainable is sustainable yes as that must be a, a huge a thing for you at the moment to have of of have found or started to break the back of of of, of the, the gas problem. I mean, that's a fascinating thing to have found a way. And again, almost ironically, of using grass, the ultimate of green green symbols and and, and energy. You know, to, you know, to use that to yeah to start to replace and, and provide that. Yeah. That's amazing. No, I was very excited when we uh, you know when we came upon it. Um, just because I say for all these years as an environmentalist I felt we had half the answer and the other half was to stop stop using gas but now yeah. we have the whole answer and we could power the whole country uh, from uh, you know our own made electricity and gas I mean it's a, it's a wonderful vision of what the future could look like yeah do, do you think there's do you think there's a um, risk of resistance to energy independence due to what can be done through the trading of energy around the world if if every country became the dream should be that every country becomes energy independent but that's also one of the biggest rackets in the world obviously at the moment as we've seen from from financial trading to to illegitimate wars and invasions you know the 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 global trading of of gas and energy and 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 oil is a a huge thing it is a really big deal isn't it i mean the current super low price of oil and petrol uh, is uh, most people would tell you driven by um, saudi arabia yeah uh you know um depressing the price of of oil in order to break the uh, U.S. fracking industry. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> as a, as a as an environmentalist, I'm not unhappy about yeah, the outcome yeah. they're seeking. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a, a good goal there. <laughs> yeah. But of course, they're doing it for their own purposes. Once they've done that, they put the price back up and, uh, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's a big racket. And um, uh, you know, just to touch on another point you made there. You, you know, what if we all became energy independent? I do think that. The idea of globalization has gone too far. The idea that we need to be buying things from the other side of the world yeah. and, and, in effect, exporting responsibility as well as jobs to other countries. Um, most of it, I think, was driven by an economic imperative that people in the developing world were just paid so little that we mm-hmm. could get this stuff so much cheaper and that helped our standard of living, which I think is an awful reason for doing it. Yeah. But, you know, I believe in creating jobs here in Britain, taking responsibility responsibility for the things that we want and need and to make them here uh, and energy included in all of that i think globalization is a is a you know a bad concept yeah 
You know, I'm not an isolationist. You know, I want to no. be a part of the world, uh, but I think we all should be taking responsibility as far as we possibly can for what we need as a country. Again, completely. I think there's 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 a, a very wide or and again an idea I I support greatly. I love the idea of individual sustainability. I love nothing more than the idea of living in a hut somewhere and being able to provide everything for myself. So if we can see that that would kind of be the the best, but there's millions of people who wouldn't want anything to do with that, then the idea of, of, of building a structure in our country where we can sustain ourselves but that energy be provided not having to go out and Mm. and 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 start your own fires and 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 everything else actually living the lives that we live now Mm. but with that you know individual sustainability yeah definitely and i think technology is a big role to play you know we can't all be lighting individual fires and and stuff like that for example you know but the smart grid is a really important part of what's coming the only the internet of things is kind of linked to that and you know for me it's just about the nonsensicalness, if I can use that as a term, of, of this you know this approach to globalization, which says, well, look, we just buy this stuff from China because it's cheaper, and mm. the cheapness of fossil fuels enables that to happen. All of this is a terrible environmental impact as well as social impact. You know, when we should be making things here, the things that we want, and employing people here rather than throwing them on the dole and employing people in a sweatshop somewhere else. You know, and, yeah. uh, I just think that's irresponsible. But that's you know that's driven by uh, you know the worst forms of capitalism. The ones yeah. just look at the bottom line, don't care about the impacts on other people and the planet. Of course, of course. Um, how much when running uh, the company? How much time has to be split between finding solutions to these problems? finding the technology to, to, to go more green, more independent, and how, versus how much time has to be spent kind of convincing people and winning them over and convincing them that, that it's not just a silly pipe dream or, 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 or that global warming isn't a real... And all these different things kind of... There is an awful lot of that, particularly in England. Um, yeah. England and the US are kind of renowned for the kind of denial of the way things are or just for going that all sounds sounds very nice but not taking it seriously you know what's the balance there and and what do you have to do as a daily fight against that i understand what you're saying it's it's changed since uh, we began you you've reminded me one of the first things we used to say to people is that climate change is a real problem Uh, yeah back in the day most people hadn't heard of it so we'd spend a little bit of time explaining what climate change was Mm -hmm and how it was a threat and how the answer therefore was to change how we made energy and here's some green electricity that was the basic premise but somewhere along the line many years ago we dropped the climate change part of that because it was common currency everybody knew what it was i think more recently it's been absolutely damaged by the right-wing media they've thrown so much mud at climate change that you know people going oh i'm either fed up with hearing about it or there's just so much doubt about it isn't there you know which there isn't yeah i mean that's it it's it's providing the slightest amount of doubt and sadly that's all we need a lot of time everyone and again on to try and defend the british public in general everyone's got their busy lives everyone's got a lot to deal with and their own financial or social issues to get through so if someone 
like the right-wing media can cast a bit of a question mark over it, then it's easy to go, oh, well, yeah. I don't know about that. I don't really know. I've heard this, I've heard that, I don't know. That's yeah. how they work. And they did it recently with green energy. Yeah. You know, in the last couple of years of the coalition government, uh, there was a sustained assault on green energy, which led ultimately to the cuts and stuff like that. You know, it's a kind of softening up exercise, softening up public opinion before uh, before doing something. Uh, but, uh, w- you know, we, we recognise what you've said there, really, which is that everybody's busy. You know, we're focused on this. This is our life's mission, but uh, everybody else is busy doing something else. And yeah. it's very important that what we offer is simple. It's easy to do. It doesn't come with a cost, but it does have a, a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's our, you know, that's our basic approach to it. Um, because if we can do that, then I think we can get enough people to say, well, look, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's it. And we don't... Yeah, if, if just, just making it something that, that essentially... They don't have to think about. Yeah. So it would be exactly the, like, like for your worry. It would be exactly like it is now. It'd be exactly yeah, so. as it is. But yeah. you know, there's something wrong. You know, there's something that could be being done better. You'll be doing something positive there, and you don't have to. That's a good point because most people don't think about their energies now. Yeah. So yeah. you know, they shouldn't have to think too much about this one either. Yeah. Ex- ex- exactly. Um, I mean, we've we've touched numerous times upon. Um, the Tories and the right-wing government we have at the moment and the right-wing media. You've been quite outspoken about the Tory green energy policies and I guess what they gradually started to pull apart under the coalition and then kind of had the the stabiliser wheels taken off and were allowed to to fully rev up and do what they want now. I think that's fair. Uh, that's what's happened. <clears throat> I think we, you know, many of us were frustrated the Lib Dems didn't do more when they were in coalition, but uh, I think we can see now what, what uh, possibly what they were holding back. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a, it's like an all-out war. And today, Amber Rudd made another announcement, uh, which is anti-renewable energy. I mean, firstly, it's about building a whole load of uh, uh, gas-powered, gas, gas-fired power stations. I was trip over that <laughs> uh, which you know which is which is just madness she's saying that we, gas powered f- gas fire stations would be lovely <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that's right yeah yeah it's, it's total madness because um you know just weeks ago they said we can't afford renewable energy you know it's putting up the price of our energy bills and yeah. uh, and, and anyway these things need to stand on their own two feet a few months before that they'd uh, signed up to 35 years contract with the nuclear industry at twice the market price for power. I mean, you know, that's a massive subsidy. Now there's going to be a subsidy for gas, but we can't afford wind energy. The IMF says that we pay, as, as a household, each household in Britain pays £1,000 a year to support the fossil fuel industry. That's the mm. hidden subsidy that they get. We see a very visible £100 a year subsidy for the entire renewable energy industry, of which £10 is for wind. Uh, and for that, we get a quarter of the energy of the uh, of the power we use in Britain. Yeah, it's incredible. So there's such great subsidies for for. And, and again, it's it's kind of it's fascinating to see, or scary to see how governments can repeatedly not not look very far into the future. And we saw it with the economic crisis, where they were gambling everything on 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 the now, when there was clearly at some point that had to the the bottom had to fall out of that. Well, with Loans and, and, and all these other things where they were all balancing and gambling on. Yeah. And it feels similar with this. T- t- to say we can't afford re- renewable energy or green energy seems so backwards because you're saying what we can afford is something that is going to continue to become rarer and rarer and the price therefore go higher and higher as the years go on rather than something that 
can remain at this price or can you know can get cheaper if there's if if if, if more support is put into it if more is provided mm-hmm. it seems so backwards even if I mean, as you said, because of the subsidies, it's an, it's an inaccurate claim anyway. But even if it was true mm. that green energy was more expensive at this point, yeah. then surely you'd be able to look towards the future and go, right, but we need to make that switch at some point. You're quite right. But within weeks of uh, the Tories saying we can't afford wind, um, we have to stop, Bloomberg uh, put out a report that said wind energy is Britain's cheapest form of energy bar none. Wow. So we're already at the point where it's cheaper than everything yeah. else. We don't have yeah. to hope for that in the future. Solar is coming down in price so quickly that by 2020 it's expected to be at grid parity. It's not far away. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're, we're on the verge there already. Um, and you know, in this country we spend £80 billion a year on fossil fuels mm-hmm. to, to buy them mostly from abroad and to burn them, which adds to atmospheric pollution and climate change. 30,000 people a year die from air pollution in our country. Wow. And if we took that 80 billion and we spent it on renewable energy, just on renewable energy, and this isn't quite a um, uh, quite a straight comparison, but if we spend it all on renewable energy, we could build enough uh, wind and sun to power the country by 50 percent in one year. Every yeah. year of 80 billion, 50 percent of the country. Wow! Uh, but that 80 billion is, of course, for the uh, uh, the energy sector, for transport, and and for lots of it combined. Mm-hmm. But that's how much we burn every year in our country, and it's literally shoveling money into a furnace. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely insane, and it's it's a very strange uh, situation at the moment uh, politically that um, we're at a point where uh, at, at least w- within the realms of how far left and right it actually goes. In the UK, we're to the, we have a government t- to the right, but our big best buddies and idols are America, who are currently under. A, a democratic rule mm. so it's a very unusual a balancing act there of um or is is there a difference in america at the moment are they but the, they trying to, to push more green again like when obama f- was first coming in there was a lot of talk of that mm. i don't think it's gone the way everyone expected but there's a lot of money and a lot of people behind the scenes we have a lot of power yeah. who would be directly invested in it not going that way but yeah I mean, I mean, from my perspective they have the same kind of arguments yeah. left and right green and brown yeah yeah, yeah. And, and Obama is like is like Blair you know yeah. he came in with a lot of promise and uh, I would say he's probably under delivered for a lot of people yeah, I yeah. had high hopes uh, yeah. you know, I don't live in America uh, but he's done some good things at the same time yeah. Tony Blair did some good things um, but I have to say, I think, and, and I meant to say earlier, your, your point about the government's current decisions not being logical, it's not based in science or economics or anything, it's short term. I think it's ideology. And I do think there's a left and right split here on green issues. I think sustainability, the environment, green energy is a kind of leftist thing. Mm-hmm. And, and people to the right of the spectrum, they like nuclear energy. It's big, it's complicated, it's bloody expensive. They don't yeah. mind the risks. We're men, you yeah. know, we take that, you know. They like to burn fossil fuels, you know, they like big industries. Sure. Um, you know, and, and so I, I do think it's a psychological thing, actually. Yeah. And, and it falls to the left of the spectrum. And again, it's, 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 it's an ever-evolving argument as well, I think. I think five years ago or ten years ago, a lot of people, and again... It, it may not be what I would agree with or you would agree with at the time, but you could understand a lot of people's question marks over where green is going or what the options are. And as I said, of, of the sustainability of it all, and the fact was there were points where it was a kind of, I don't know, a risk versus 
achievement or, 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 or performance, I guess. Um, but as, you, as you've said, the, the leaps and bounds that seem to have come on in the last few years yeah. seem to start to, to rub that out. Yeah. How do you go about continually re-educating and updating people on... Because, again, if someone had looked into this, this five, ten years ago, they may have even with a quite broad or intelligent mind, have come to their decision that no, the correct option is nuclear or whatever, or, or whatever else. Mm. How do you kind of reach those people, or what's your... That's a tough one, isn't it? I, I do think that uh, one of the jobs is to constantly re-educate yourself because the world changes really quickly. And yeah. I, I would say 10 years ago, I think the people in, in power did recognise what you said earlier, which is that green energy may be more expensive now, but it's worth supporting because yeah. it will get cheaper over yeah. time. And anyway, we have to fight climate change, and yeah. that's probably the biggest deal of all. And and I would say it's come good for them and for us because right now we're on the cusp of all of that, and um, and it's cheaper than fossil fuels and, and requires less support. Yeah. Um, sorry, I've <clears throat> I lost my thread. No, no, that's all good. As, as I said, do you you made an active choice at the start to go the business route rather than the charity route? But I'd imagine there are a lot of of, of friends in that sector do you work much with charities and is there an interaction and engagement in that manner yeah completely uh, we've probably got about 250 partners that we work with and, yeah. and there are all sorts of groups charities ngos uh, some are companies uh, and and they're all in the same kind of space uh, you know the kind of green sustainable ethical kind of space and we, we you know we work with each other we talk to each other's members and you know, one, one of the kind of um, roles we see for ourselves is is making it possible for people to take these steps to live more sustainably, but to make it easy for them. Because, uh, you know, I, I absolutely believe that people power is the way to bring the change to the world, but somebody has to make the product available and has to make it easy and has to make it cost-effective and yeah. therefore accessible. We see that as our role. So we expanded our work um, a couple of years ago, probably several years ago now, from just being focused on energy to focusing on transport and food. And those three issues between them are responsible for 80% of everybody's personal carbon footprint, which is driven by fossil fuel uh, you know, consumption. Um, and so um, our main focus is still energy, electricity and gas. Uh, but in transport, we built the Nemesis, the... Uh, electric supercar yeah. I think we put it on the road in 2010 and, and that was born of an idea really I wanted a greener car uh, but at the, at the time you couldn't buy an electric car anywhere in the world so we thought we'd make one and we thought we'd have to make a supercar because if you ever set out to do something green it's got to be great yeah. otherwise people yeah. are yes but you know, everyone so, will look at it yeah. And, yeah. but it's got shortcomings hasn't it so yeah. we made this car that was absolutely beautiful to look at went like hell uh, we took the land speed record with it and um, and in the process we um, we saw all the big car companies start to talk about EVs electric mm-hmm. cars um, and figured that where we were really needed was in the infrastructure space where were people going to charge their cars yeah. we built this thing called the electric highway um, so that's our, our work in transport currently is around electric vehicles. We've done a lot of number crunching. You know, people say very valid questions. Uh, you know, where will all the uh, electricity come from? How do we power 30 million cars in Britain? You know, yeah. where does the lithium come from? Is there enough yeah. to make all the batteries? Yeah. It's always important to us that the things that we do aren't a niche, that they are scalable. Yeah. Uh, so we did, you know... We did again, that's, that's again having the business mentality rather than the charity mentality of not just finding a potential solution, finding a potential replacement for you know yeah. wanting to take over all that business yes. as such kind of thing rather than thinking oh i could get this car and i could drive it you yeah. know yeah yeah and it's, yeah you're right i mean it, it it may it may be that way from my perspective it's 
it's about practicality. It's yeah. all very well me having an electric car, but if there's only enough lithium for 1% of the cars in the world to be electric, yeah. that's not the answer. Yeah, we have sure. to look somewhere else for the answer. But that wasn't the case. We found there's enough lithium. Um, and then we looked at the, the UK grid. How much electricity do you think it would take to power 30 million cars driving about 250 billion miles a year in Britain? Right. You know, Most people would think that's more than the grid could ever cope with. We crunched the numbers and found it was a 13% increase in grid-delivered oh, really? power, which is like four years' normal growth. Yeah. And, and, and actually, the demand comes at the off-peak time in the night time, so it kind of fits quite well, raises the load factor of the grid. You know, it kind of works for us, not against us. Yeah, of And course. that was a, an illuminating kind of find, you know. That yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. Of, of, of course, the fact that, yeah, I hadn't even... I thought of that, the fact that the point when everyone's turning off their lights and turning off their TVs and going to sleep is the point that they would be plugging in their, yeah. their vehicles to, to, to take that energy. So, so it wouldn't be, it would be a nice spread of the actual energy and, and, what, and, and what is being drained out at that, at that moment. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So, so what is the... Let's talk a bit about the electric highway because... When you talk about electric cars, so many people are excited about it and into it, but so many people I hear say, oh, I'd also want to have have my other car like there just just for you know long journeys l- long journeys, all things like that if you know an electric car perfect for nipping into town for for doing your day to day stuff, but yeah. for long journeys, I need to know that i'm not going to suddenly be in the middle of the the woods or fields with no, yeah, with no it's, power. it's a comfort blanket thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you know, because called... people forget that uh, you know I've been in the middle of the woods before uh, with no petrol. This, you know, it's not uh, it's not a new thing in that way. So it's it's I guess it's it's finding that yeah. that way of having the electricity available enough. Yeah, but but there are two aspects to to how I would answer that. One is I think it's a uh, range anxiety is what we're talking about. Yeah, um, people being worried that they can't get to where they want to go, they might run out of power. And uh, it's actually, if you if you look more closely at how we use cars, they can cross continents, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You can fill them up in five minutes and you can drive 24-7 if you want to. Uh, but 99.6% of all car journeys in Britain are less than 100 miles. Yeah. 99.6, it doesn't yeah. leave much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does yeah. not leave much. Yeah, it's great. It's, 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 it's that anxiety of something that you m- may never even encounter in your and, life. And mostly don't. Yeah. <laughs> mostly yeah. don't. Most of us, most of the time, do not drive over 100 miles. Yeah. time yeah. but uh, the second part of the answer was for us to build the electric highway and we focused on the motorways figuring that where you're going to need to charge most is out on the open road mm-hmm. on the big roads the motorways uh, given that uh, 99.6% of all car journeys were less than 100 miles that was our starting place electric cars at that time had a range of about 100 miles they're, they're improving fast now mm-hmm. um, you know, 150 200 is, is there today and a couple of years from now it'll be 300 um, we figured it was the motorways. So we built at every motorway service station um, technology to charge cars. And when we began, it's very funny, 2010, 2011, we were really installing three-pin plugs on the on the motorway service station. Oh, yeah. And it would take eight hours to charge a car full. Yeah. You know, we're very honest about it to the media. We said, we know it's not actually uber practical right now, although if you're in an yeah. electric car, you would be grateful for some power. For the top know, up. For yeah. something. Uh, but we know technology changing. And it comes back to the point I made earlier. You've got to constantly 
refresh your own understanding of the yeah. world and look forwards. Don't don't be don't be uh, dragged down by what's possible today. Yeah. So we built this knowing that other stuff was coming within two years, faster than we thought. The technology was there to charge a car in twenty minutes. Wow. Time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Wow. Fantastic. That's amazing. And again, I I, I like that because I think it's always hugely important to be as aware and, cr- and critical of your own advances or, or ideas as you are of the oppositions as such. So the fact that you had found a solution, but we're quite honest, like, it's not that much. It's, it's a bit of a solution, but in, in reality, eight hours to charge your car up isn't, isn't the ideal solution. But it's, it's then striving forward and going, right, realistically, I mean, we can start this now. And, that, and it is a positive, as you said, and the fact is, at that point as well, there's not tens or hundreds of thousands of electric cars that that, that you're having to provide for. So it's you know it's not like it's this un, un, unmanageable thing. So it's the perfect point to kind of write. We've not got it perfect, yeah. but not everyone needs it yet. So it's worth starting at this point and then then progressing forward. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. And I think it's helped people. You know, there is a network in place now and you can drive the length and breadth of the country in a car that only has a 100-mile range. You can do it. And you just have to stop for 20 minutes, have a cup of coffee and move on, you know. And it's a nice way to travel as well, actually, instead of trying to drive 300 miles all in one go. Yeah. Just break the journey up. I mean, again, it's it's, it's essential. Everyone always says how... How, how many accidents are caused by people not taking a break and again not to make any kind of spin that this is also also saving a lives one but there is an element of that it is very tempting when you've got a full tank yeah. to just plug through because oh, I've got so much more to go I don't want to stop whereas if there is that right well in, tw- in 20 minutes I can I can refresh I can charge up and be yeah. and be good to go that's that's no bad thing there. No, it's about enjoying the journey as well, isn't yeah. it? Rather than focusing on the destination. I mean, that's the kind of life choice. And, yeah. you know, yeah. technology enables us to get from A to B as fast as possible, doesn't yeah. it? It's not always a good thing. Spiritually, it's not the best thing. Yeah, and, and that, no, I agree. You mentioned food. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit mm. from an energy point of view, because that's not something that springs to mind instantly. For me, I'm not sure. Um, again, you wouldn't expect to be talking to a power company about about food so what's the what is the interest and the and the and the focus there yeah well just to just to re-mention energy transport and food being the big three that's like a merit order energy is biggest followed by transport followed by food but food and transport are very close together in terms of their emissions and impact and stuff and and quite simply what we choose to eat has an enormous uh, environmental impact Mm -hmm. Um, if we choose to eat meat and dairy we have a massive impact the worst offending meat is beef, and you have to you have to put something like ten kilos of high quality plant protein into a cow to get one kilo of of beef out. Right. So it's incredible diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. You can feed basically ten vegetarians or one meat eater, and in a planet with very limited resources and a fast growing population, you know that can't ever make any sense. But I think since the end of the Second World War, the advent of very cheap and plentiful fossil fuels have delivered a very different agricultural system, intensive farming, for example, and it's changed our diet in the West. We eat far more meat and dairy than we used to. And if you look at yeah. the developing world, you see the kind of diet we might have had 50, 60 years ago. only problem is because they're, <clears throat> they're coming up this curve wanting to have a Western diet, generally speaking. I mean, that's happening in China and, and India, for example. Um, and the world can't sustain it. So there's an imperative to actually tackle the food issue mm-hmm. uh, from, from that perspective. But also, it's incredibly cruel 
factory farming is a, is a hideous, monstrous industry. Uh, the dairy industry has been very successful in its propaganda. It makes us all think that it's a, an entirely natural product and it's quite... Uh, it's quite cuddly, you know, it's okay. It's like a byproduct of nature. It isn't. Cows have to have their babies taken away from them at less than one day old. If it's a male carrot, it gets shot in the head and fed to the hunt dogs or something. If it's a female carrot, it follows its mother into the industry. But a cow has to be constantly pregnant and constantly having its babies taken away so that we can have the milk. And there's nothing, right. absolutely nothing natural about that either. We're the only species on the planet that drinks the milk of another species. Only we don't call it cow's milk, we just call it milk. It's become sanitised, you know, it comes in cartons, but actually it's from a cat. We wouldn't drink dog milk or horse milk or, or something like yeah, that, sure. or, or human milk, you know, for that matter. So it's incredibly cruel to animals. Uh, it's actually bad for our health, um, and uh, it's, it is very bad for the planet. So um, that's, the, that's the dark story. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the light story is it's actually a really easy thing we can all do about it. It's, it's like energy, just change where you get it from, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, that's what I was going to say, because, again, it's another incredibly tough battle is convincing meat eaters to go this way or vice versa, you know. So what's the approach then to go right? Because from what you've said there, the bulk of the issues is... Is, is is the production essentially, and, and and the way in which we get this food and things like? Because again, I'm I'm a meat eater, um, but again, I'm a big b- believer. Um, I don't know. Again, in, in in my little dream of living in a, a cabin, th- there would be meat eating in it, but it would be direct. Eat my own, you know, eat eat, yeah. eat catch anything I eat and things like that. So rather than this big mass industry that we've built mm. from it so what's your outlooks and, and, and solutions there is in, in looking at where we get this stuff or what we do about any of this I, I think fundamentally there's this diminishing return problem um, and you know the idea of eating meat every day is a very modern thing and it's, mm-hmm. it's sustained by cheap fossil fuels and intensive farming in Britain today we kill a billion animals every year. Yeah, it doesn't count fish. It's just animals. Mm-hmm. That's, a bit, that's 30 million a day. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a holocaust every day. Yeah. There is no way that we can sustain, we individually could sustain that diet living yeah. in, in, in that kind of lifestyle out in the country. Yeah, in of course, of course. And, and yeah. nor did we used to. Because yeah. if you were self-sustaining, you'd be growing your crops. And rather than stick 10 kilos in your cow to get one back out, you'd, yeah. you'd eat them yourself. Yeah, and, yeah. and so our relationship with animals used to be very different. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's what I would say to that. Yeah, and yeah. It has, no, to be, it has to be very different in the future. So, what are your your thoughts on on, on where the changes sh- should come or could come? It's just it's simply a diet thing, really. Yeah, you know. Um, I, again, I, I completely understand that and see that as again a viable, a viable and sellable and workable and, and livable thing of 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 even just gradual adjustments as yeah. you were saying the fact that it's meat every day isn't isn't how we were built isn't how we were yeah. um, um, meant to sustain and that instantly to me and to a lot of people who love me would go no I can see that that, mm-hmm. that makes some sense so making those changes to make it again more sustainable yes in that manner I guess yeah that's right I think eating less I mean it's a path you haven't got to do it in a big bang yeah you know yeah. we're all on a path you know and we bump into this question, you know, every now and then. This this whole kind of sustainability 
agenda if you if you if you care about the environment and you take certain steps in your life it doesn't mean you have to do everything and yeah. it's the same same in in me you know some some people give it up on a monday yeah and some people only eat it on a monday yeah yeah, yeah sure uh, both of those are steps yeah you know, i don't eat it at all but our work in food has really been through uh, our football club forest green yep i was gonna pr- I'll bring that up next I'll, I'll see in a nice um, oh, yeah. a, a nice Forest Green Rovers uh, tr- a trophy there so yeah nice shirt behind you there yeah 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 there's a good collection so a source of the story there again that's not a typical um, power company <laughs> the play yeah, play. <laughs> yeah. no quite right uh, th- that was something we got involved in um, in 2010 I think I've said 2010 a lot recently must yeah. be a big year for we us we did a lot in 2010 <laughs> that was a hell of a year yeah, I think we did uh, we rescued our local football club uh, basically uh, it's over 100 years old and big part of its community and lovely people lovely facilities and stuff but just completely kind of out of its league really uh unsustainable um so we stepped in to rescue uh, having been told they only need a little bit of money it turned out there was it was a massive problem and we faced the choice of seeing it go bankrupt or really getting involved deeply and so we we chose the latter uh, but decided that we would uh, use it as an opportunity to take our message on energy transport and food into uh, a new world, the world of yeah. football, which I tend to think of as being a decade or two behind the curve. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not very modern. Fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's no, completely fair. <laughs> and and the first kind of um, big challenge we bumped into really was diet. Yeah, uh, you know, because within a few weeks, I. I I remember sitting up in our hospitality suite and seeing what we were feeding our players, and it was, uh, you know, it was a minced beef lasagna or something. And I was yeah. like, "Oh God, I hadn't realised that I'm now basically involved in the meat trade." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and and actually, it's bad for athletes. Yeah, completely. Uh, so, uh, so we immediately said, "Look, we can't do this. We've got to got to feed our players better food than that." And actually, we can't stop there. It has to be across the whole stadium: staff, visitors, fans, everybody. Amazing. We banned red meat, as they like to say. It wasn't quite like that. We didn't ban it. We just said we're not going to have it on the menu. But yes, in the media, it was red meat banned. Got loads of headlines and caused a bit I'd of imagine trouble. banning red meat at football. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Outrageous, uh, but yeah. It was, it was absolutely, it was. And it was very challenging. But we said to our fans, look, uh, we aren't telling you what to eat because that was one of the accusations thrown at us. Uh, you can bring whatever you want to a football game. What yeah. we're saying is we aren't going to have it on our menu. And... Uh, and on average, a, a football game at home is once every fortnight. Yeah. We said, don't come to a game and try to eat what you normally eat every other day of the week. Why don't you come to a game and try something different? And yeah. that's what we did. We put on a whole range of different food. And our focus is not about what's not in the food. It's about what the food is. Yeah. Is it great food or not? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, yeah. Um, So this year we went vegan. Uh, it was a few weeks ago. It was another big wow. uh, media kind of splash. Went yeah. around the world, that one. Yeah. It was fantastic. Um, uh, but we'd already gone vegan quietly a few months ago, <laughs> except for the milk in the tea. But all the food, pretty much, was vegan already. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, which which was a kind of nice way to do it. But, you know, we've come on this journey four or five years in, and our fans have come with us. We put on this great veggie burger, and you can ask just about anybody at our club now, they say it's, it's just so much better than the old meat burger. Yeah. You know. Um, Again, it's not like... Football grounds have ever been a home of, <laughs> of high cuisine. In no, the bar was low. In any way, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the bar was low. The burgers were cold. The yeah. chips were covered in something glowing yeah. um, often. But yeah, so so how did the the, the staff and, and players initially take to that? I mean, obviously there's the public a reaction, but how was the? Well, the players were up for it because. Um, you know they're they're keen to do their very best, perform yeah. to their best, and so the conversation we had 
with them was was based on a performance uh, yeah. angle, saying yeah. that actually this stuff slows you down, you know. Um, so they were they were completely up for it, and we were feeding them uh, corn, I think, as the, the main protein alternative at the time, which wasn't vegan, but it's just gone vegan. Uh, right. A couple of weeks ago, well, not not the whole range, but there is a vegan. There's a vegan range vegan of corn, range now, right? That's great. Which is uh, what we sell up at the club. And again, it's something I think that corn were actually quite wise to do was when they started to get kind of athletes endorsing yeah. and as part of that to say look this isn't again this isn't just a hippie thing or anything else saying this is great for performance yeah. this is giving you what you need for yeah. to be a high level person rather than this is what you need and you and you'll survive yeah. it won't kill you to eat it but you'll survive but more saying yeah. this is this can make you yeah. all the better yeah yeah i think uh, somebody somebody came at me that way from the media recently you know kind of kind of you know how do the players manage or it's good that you're top of the league despite that yeah and it's actually yeah. the other way around you know yeah it actually it actually helps but what you touch upon there is exactly right for cars as well you know as i was saying if you're going to make an electric car it's got to be great yeah and actually yeah. the way to sell an electric car i think is is the way they are to drive i don't know if you've tried one but they're fantastic yeah oh they're fantastic and they make expert drivers out of anybody because there are no gears and you have instant maximum power and torque from one revolution there's no power wow. so where, every time you come out of a corner you're at the you're the best place in the power curve in the best gear to accelerate as fast as you can Amazing. makes everybody an expert driver yeah they're fun easy to drive and fast if you want them to be yeah yeah oh and by the way they don't make pollution <laughs> yeah again it's that it's that great thing and again it's never um a straight out the gate thing of initially when electric cars were coming about i'm sure again there's the at least the first one's that were coming on the market there would be question marks over if they can perform against this if they can perform against that but as you said as soon as you've started to get that a technology there gradually it will become undeniable gradually we will know they this is a better car and it's actually again the same as as with the energy it's actually it's no harder for you yeah what's the kind of the hurdles price wise at the moment is it is it a is there is it possible to make an affordable, strong performance um, electric car still? And oh, totally, yeah. And I mean, the price is coming down really quickly. Yeah, you know, because the... again, that was an initial thing. The yeah. the first high performance electric cars that came out yeah. were incredibly expensive. E- even the first average performance yeah. cars, yeah, 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 expensive. yeah, yeah. No doubt about it. But you know, it's analogous to the first mobile phones yeah, and the first course. laptops. You know, yeah. I mean, they came down in price incredibly and size, didn't they? Yeah, in, in, yeah, of course. In, in both cases, I mean, performance. The first, Mobile phones through. were that big, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. One, the battery lasted one hour. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. Then pl- plug it into the windmill. Yeah, it used to do that. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> and so cars are moving very quickly. Electric cars, and you know, it helps that every manufacturer now has one on the books. There are thirty models on the road to choose from. Wow. So there's a wide range. Uh, the batteries keep getting more energy dense, and that's the key. Um, uh, you know, to performance, and they keep getting cheaper. And as they go into mass production, like phones and laptops did, they just keep getting cheaper. Yes, yeah. the way of things. So uh, uh, we're at the hour mark, so I'll, I'll start to, uh, to wrap up. Initially, so what's the plan uh, going forward? What's your your vision and for everything for for, for for going forward as a company and hopefully as a country? Well, I suppose our um, our, our big vision thing is Green Britain. Yeah. You know, our, our flag, which is sat here behind me, is a Green Union Jack. Yeah. 
and uh, and in that vision we all live more sustainably we we do crack the issues of energy transport and food and and actually energy is written for all of those three like a stick of rock you know it's energy in transport that's yep. the key it's energy in food that's actually yep. the key yep. uh, we've got enough of it in britain so you know the, the key to the whole thing really is to power the whole country from sustainable sources to create industry and jobs it's the other thing i wanted to say actually most recently we've evolved our message to not talking about green stuff as being good to do for its own sake you know we all care about polar bears but actually what people care about more is industry and jobs sustainable economies and uh, we commissioned some research just before the election from Cambridge uh, Econometrics about what Britain could look like in 2030 if we did some of the things that we've been talking about we set out a range of policies that could could achieve that we got some stunning economic outcomes that show that actually these things lead to a stronger, sustainable economy, which is a completely different way to look at it. So that's our vision, a green Britain in which we, we make stuff here. We have jobs in industry making green stuff. We have you know, no pollution. We live longer uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, Again, it's, it's, it's exactly those kind of points, the, the jobs, the economy, that will, as, as we said earlier, will push people over that extra edge. It's... it's 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 absolutely f- f- fine to care about the environment and 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 being green but then when a, a one of, of 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 the partners in the family have lost their job and you're you know you're doing your best to scrape by you then go for what is affordable for you at that moment and that's there's nothing wrong with that there's there's no selfishness there that's a natural human got to do what you got to do yeah. which is why people are burning the rainforest yeah because <laughs> they you know they need some way to live i get that uh, i mean my my favorite uh, my favorite way to paraphrase this is some is is the way bill clinton didn't say it yeah. is the green economy stupid yeah yeah that's our new message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. So, and and where can people keep up to date with everything that you guys are doing here, and and, and what's the best way? Again, as we got it in earlier, let's make sure it's at the end as well. If they do want to change their electricity over 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 to ecotricity. Uh, where do they go and what do they do? Uh, give us a call or just go on the internet, check our website out. It's yep. electricity and gas now, of course. Um, it's very easy to do. And, you know, the more people join us, the more we can do. Is we've got this bills into mills model. Um, yep. You know, we, we see ourselves making a utility bill, which is like a necessary evil. Nobody likes having yep. them, do they? No. But actually, our customers like having our bills because they know some good comes from it. And that's yeah. what we do. We're just turning that into good stuff. It's... it's, it's, it's a small bit of positivity when each time you have to to, to, to pay that bill and again just the highlighting that nothing changes essentially the it's the part that i hadn't understood i think if i'm honest until we had this conversation i no, not that i'd thought about it a lot but it's still plugging into the same grid it's just now it's you guys who are providing it and you guys who are buying it off of it's not suddenly the gas has to come from come down a hill from a windmill and go and, <laughs> and go around here kind of thing. it's it's the same stuff provided but it's just yeah, for a better right. cause I mean the real difference is where your money goes yeah it's who you pay and what they do with your money that's yeah. the difference yeah so instead of putting it in the and again it's, it's an issue I always had with um, and again we won't even start going on on the economic side of of mortgages and, and, and rent culture in the UK now but when I first moved out the thing that I struggled with the most was thinking so my rent would cost the same as a mortgage, except my rent is going in the pocket of some big company, and some you know. Some, whereas my mortgage was, admittedly, there's the banks and everything else, but my mortgage is essentially going towards me owning this yeah. and me having my own own piece of yeah. of, of of land and and own own own, own place 
uh, to live essentially. And it's a, a similar th- a thinking there. I think you could put your money that that horrible bill you get each month that could go towards making someone who's very rich even more rich essentially um, or it could go towards as said a little smile on your face as you know it's 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 generating more meals and more changing the world yeah and that's what we're really here for yeah that's perfect well thank you very much for, for taking the time it's been lovely to chat it's been my great pleasure as well thank you Been listening to Scrooge Pits Discretion Pieces. There we go. How how dope is that? How inspirational. Um, I really enjoyed that. As said, I went in skeptical on a lot of things. Only thing we really butted heads on, even slightly, was um, on meat. Um, and that's again, that's it wasn't a big argument. I'm not against vegans or vegetarians or anyone else, but it it annoys me at times when vegans or vegetarians are so far beyond um uh, so far against meat eaters i don't know it's a weird one i was at the live show um and i'm not having a go because it's listeners and that's great and supportive at the live show i had a great chat that i felt was positive and engaging with um a young lady who was a vegan um i made a good conversation and she gave me a book that was a kind of comic book about a veganism and i got home um later and i started to read it and i found it incredibly offensive <laughs> um it it was very uh derogatory towards meat eaters and very mocking of meat eaters and it just felt man imagine if 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 i had a book that was just like pages and pages of laughing at vegans and i gave that to a vegan i think that'd be hugely rude and offensive and i don't think the person was being rude or intending to to be rude but yeah I, I never got around to mentioning that i found it quite an odd and offensive book um in that manner but again i'm not against anyone having their own their own beliefs and doing what they do i just think people should at times be more respectful of other people's beliefs and choices which is tough if your beliefs are strong and someone else's beliefs are uh you know against yours then i get that that kind of thing happens but um yeah Anyway, that wasn't what I was here to talk about. That was the the only bit we really batted heads on in the podcast. But still, I agreed with a lot of his stuff. And I still agree in um, that in general, humans should reduce their their meat intake. Um, I think in in doing so, we would hopefully then reduce the 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 meat industry, which is kind of gross in places, and there is some horribleness there. So there's yeah, there's a lot a, a lot we did agree on. So. A fascinating one. I hope you'll agree. Um, thank you for tuning in, guys. I would love it if you would go and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or give us five-star ratings and reviews and stuff like that. That means a lot. It makes a difference. It helps us, helps our reputation within iTunes and within the charts and things like that. So that would be cool if you can do that or spread the word directly. I mean, but again, if you can only do do one thing after listening to this one, I'd say that one is go and check out Eco and if it's an option for you in your household and with your power bills and electric and gas and everything because man it's simple (laughs) it's just a simple switch over so yeah i think that's everything i needed to talk about i think we're at the end of the podcast right yeah that's it 
hopefully next week um i'm recording this intro a fair bit in advance but the plan is that next week we have itch uh from king blues on um and then there'll be one or two or three or four episodes of a year in review and that's going to be me and uh, the plan is my mates Stu whiffin and chris glasson who run a wretched rebels who really sponsors the podcast and have supported me for a long time and they also run my we are lizards club night with me and i chose them because i thought if, if i'm going to do a year in review then it's perfect that it's with two people i was trying to get my brother as well because he he does the door at my club night um and generally each we meet up once a month to do the club night and we drink and discuss what's been going on that month whether that be films mma uh music podcasts not just mine but other podcasts and the general news so i thought that'd be interesting people to sit down and do it with but we do generally do that once a month whilst getting drunk so the plan is to set the mics up to sit down with some drinky drinks and to go through month by month and see how many episodes of the podcast that turns into that could turn into five six weeks in a row but yeah we'll see how that goes um and yeah, the plan is to discuss some serious stuff, some not serious, uh, serious stuff. Even I, I, I'm going to prepare a load of news stories and releases and stuff like that that have happened in that time. But I'm also going to encourage the guys to make some notes or stuff that they've, even in their private life or personal life, just interesting stuff that they've b- b- been up to or thought about or done. So let's see how that goes. Thank you for tuning in, guys. This has been the Distraction Pieces podcast with Scroobius Pip, which is me. Bye.